So it seems like there's two kinds of people in the world. Those who Instagram live every second of their quarantine routine and those who start a podcast. I'll let you guess what category I fall into. Anchor.fm makes it incredibly easy with tools and guides and a direct connection to every distribution channel, which means your podcast can instantly be available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever your audience listens. Finding sponsors for your content can be a pain, but with Anchor's built-in monetization, connecting with a sponsor that fits your podcast has never been easier. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I never really know how to start these things, if I'm being honest. So it's kind of just like, you know, got to have a conversation. And, you know, I think we kind of like picking up where like, you know, we were just talking about earlier. You know, I think there are a lot of things that we kind of take for granted in life through, you know, but when it comes to like running a coffee shop or production company or anything like that, um, there's always someone that needs to kind of be at the helm of that. And I think it's, like, kind of crazy. We were just talking about how, like, True Brew opened up, like, eight years ago. Uh, tell me a little bit about, like, what your experience has been over that time. Like, it's been really fun to watch, like, lately navigating, like, you know, middle, post-pandemic, you know, that time um, and the crazy people. Yeah, I mean, like, it was it was funny just reminiscing about how, you know, you were one of our first employees when we first opened. And it's just wild the uh, the kind of cycle we've gone through of starting off really not knowing what we were doing and just like, you know, hiring that first cook that had no cooking experience <laughs> and like trying to, you know, Shout scrape out together. To Alex. Yeah, <laughs> Alex. Yeah. Trying to, trying to uh, scrape together a team of, you know, people to, uh, to run a shop. And I was 22 at the time, you know, and I, I didn't really have like, management experience so I was really just like learning on the job um but it's been it's been yeah like a wild experience and we've we've really like you know grown as a company we've built you know a good team like we have like two and a half three managers now one one of them's like on her way to you know becoming a manager and so like I've been able to kind of step back from that like day-to-day management role and just kind of be like a supportive you know, person wherever I'm needed, really. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's it's cool to see how as you kind of develop and progress in that journey, you can, you know, shift through the different roles, like, you know, starting off as a barista, really. You know, I was basically just on the bar with you guys and, you know, making yeah. coffee every morning, and which I love. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, you got to be able to, like, step back and, and go where you're most needed but that's pretty awesome yeah it's also like it's kind of wild when you look back on it and it's like I think you know I think around that time I was like probably like 18 19 and it's like at the time we thought we were like on top of the world and then now it's like all of a sudden you look back on it and you realize like we were just kind of like making it up as we went along um but you know it's kind of cool to like be able to look back on that with the retrospect or the like perspective of seeing the growth that we have now um, I had a question. I totally forgot what it was. It's all good. <laughs> um, what would you say is like one of the like 
interesting things like transitioning out of like, you know, or I, I guess like, tell me how it was for you as a business owner. This is something I've been like really interested in uh, because as a freelancer, like I have a lot of control over my like business environment and whatnot. How was it for you navigating this like past year of the pandemic um, from, you know, lockdowns to navigating mandates and all of that stuff and crazy customers that don't necessarily agree with you, like all that stuff. Yeah, it's been, it's been challenging. I'm not going to lie. Like um, we, we've been really like blessed and lucky to be in an area that's very supportive of, of small businesses and, and just in general where I, I guess I'd say a little bit more lenient um, towards, you know, lockdown, lockdown kind of mandates and stuff. So we were able to operate at a, a higher capacity than a lot of other places, which was great. But, you know, as you, uh, as I'm sure you've heard, like there's been crazy like staffing shortages, supply chain issues. There's been all kinds of like hurdles to kind of address in this whole last 18 months or, or so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we were lucky to have like a really good core team that, you know, stuck through it and like, you know, we're willing to like work the extra days and the extra hours to just fill in and, and cover shifts and stuff. And, you know, I think like a lot of us were, including myself, we're, we're pretty burned out for a while, but we've, we've managed to, you know, hire more people recently. And, and like, I think we're on the, uh, kind of uptrend from that low point of, of, uh, you know, just constant burnout and stress. Cause, cause oh, yeah. really like I was telling you, we, we were actually really busy after the initial lockdown we had like that dip and then it's been you know busy since then we actually had our, our best year um that's amazing yeah it's, so it's been great but but yeah just the uh, the constant like stress and burnout and then you know like like i've kind of shared with you like all the kind of crazy like karen stories i've had like <laughs> you know we, we've been seeing more of that though people are a little bit more you know jumpy and agitated it's, everyone's like so emboldened to be out there like oh yeah i can just you know I can get away with whatever. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. Uh, so I guess like this is kind of like a little bit of a two-part question. How do you feel you've been able to like really like foster and bring together a team that will do that? Because like over the years I've worked in like a number of coffee shops and I feel like one of the like common themes that inevitably ends up hitting this and is you know, everyone kind of just like has their own thing that they want to do. And it's like, oh, I'm not going to like cover someone's shift or whatever. And like, I know a lot of that sometimes gets put on the manager to figure out, you know, I just got to like put people on shifts. But like, how have you been able to like foster that team environment where people are willing to like go above and beyond and like help, you know, their fellow barista and whatnot? And how does that like allow them to feel like they have like, your support when someone who's an unsavory customer comes in? So I don't think I have like a magic, you know, formula that I've used to do that. Honestly, I would say it's more of hiring people who are like predisposed to doing that from the beginning. And I won't say that like every single person we have is willing to like come in on their day off, but we have, yeah. you know, a handful that are, and they're just like always there for the team um, obviously the managers end up taking like, I don't know, I'd say the, the brunt of like those, those, uh, 
days where, you know, we just have to fill in. But we also have just a couple, like, other employees who always come in to help out, like, if we're, you know, too busy or, like, someone calls out. And so it's, you know, it's cool to see that, you know, even, like, up and down the kind of management chain, we have people who are supportive and and willing to uh, just be there for the team. And I think, honestly, it's it's probably because I have a couple of really great managers who are empathetic and really connect with the staff. And I think that they've really fostered that, like, you know, team attitude and just, like, a, a closer relationship. Like, we, I was telling you about our softball team. Yeah. So that was my manager's idea to, to for us to do like a, a company softball team. That's such a such a good thing to like bring people together. I love that. Yeah, and it's been it's been really fun. I had never played baseball until like a month ago, but <laughs> I, it turns out it's like super fun, and I've been having a blast. But yeah, every Tuesday night, like you know, m- majority of our staff we we go meet up at this little like uh, local park where they have you know the baseball fields, and we. You know, we play as a team and like we're all terrible but but it's still fun so <laughs> that's awesome but and then uh in five years y'all are gonna be the uh all-stars all-stars of uh oc and Tustin. <laughs> i hope so yeah we, we played a team last week that they've been playing together for eight years and i thought oh, it was like yeah yeah we got smoked but but yeah i thought it was cool that like i know i hope we can maintain like a, a you know a continuous kind of team that would be that'd be fun that's awesome. Did I you ever that. play uh, baseball or anything? Or oh my gosh, I I think the closest I did was uh, track and cross country. Okay, I, like I was never like a huge sports person. Um, at my church, we also used to play uh, ultimate frisbee all the time. That was like our like game. Oh my gosh, I remember we would play until like midnight, one in the morning. Like it was insane. I've, I haven't played that yet, but my friends have all been into it recently. And like I didn't realize there was whole like courses and stuff. It looks like it looks very like outdoorsy in nature. It, it yeah. looks well, like so like ultimate frisbee is is more like uh like think like football and soccer. So there's like the oh, two well, maybe opposing I'm think- teams. Okay, I'm thinking of yeah. disc golf, right? Yeah. Is that, okay. I mean, I've heard uh, disc golf people, they say it uh, doesn't get the respect it needs, but <laughs> apparently it's a very, very hard sport. I've only played like one or two rounds, so. I've never played, but I've yeah. never played either, but yeah. Uh, I think I think you would like Ultimate Frisbee. It's like, it's funny, I like, I actually had an experience uh, two, three years ago. Uh, one of my friends played professionally on a league and I got to go like photograph one of his games. Let me tell you, what we played at our church versus how these people played was a totally different game. Like they were scoring goals every 20 to 30 seconds. And we're talking like full, like, you know, soccer pitch distance. And I mean, these guys were insane. It was like, what, watching what is people. the goal in, in a, or like, what is it like a little goal post or a hoop? Or yeah. So like, think like, uh, it's, kind of similar to like football in that there's like kind of like a a goal line and you basically just have to like throw the frisbee and like catch it in the end zone so someone has to catch it yeah okay and but it like because it's a frisbee versus like uh a football um one it flies way further like i was watching these guys like they would be in one end zone and they could literally just like throw the frisbee like 90 percent of the way to the other end zone like it's insane uh but it also when you're holding the frisbee you're not allowed to move 
so it like creates this like really interesting situation where you like some of the strategy that I remember is like you want to like constantly keep the frisbee moving so that the other team has mm. a hard time figuring out who to defend but on the flip side of it like you also need to like make sure that it's like getting to where it needs to go um so it's like really interesting to see and also these people can jump like seven feet in the air it's like you've never seen someone that jump so high fun. in your life i gotta yeah. try that you're yeah. not you are you allowed to like tackle people or something or what do you do? Uh, like how, i mean i think it's like, like advised to not tackle yeah. people um but i've definitely had a few head-on collisions in in the game like two people are going after it and you're both looking up not oh, paying geez. attention and you just collide yeah it's yeah uh, scary probably probably resulted in some of my brain trauma in my life <laughs> I was going to ask you, because you were talking about sports, like, I remember when you, I think it was the year before you worked at True Brew, you had run, like, 10 miles every day for, like, a year. Is that, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, so that was my 2012 uh, New Year's resolution. And it's funny, I was, my mom just pulled out, she created this, like, journal, basically, of, like, all of the Facebook entries, because I, like, document the whole thing on Facebook, like, every single day with a run had a corresponding Facebook post with it. Uh, yeah. It's actually funny cause next year is going to be the 10 year anniversary of that. And I've kind of been like bouncing around with some stuff in the back of my head of like trying to like revisit that and try and like do something similar. Uh, but you know, shout out, uh, James, my, uh, mobility coach. I need to fix a few things because <laughs> I'm not I'm not 18 anymore. <laughs> Do you have any like retroactive damage from running that much? You know, it's funny. I like I think about it now, and I really wish I had like someone who could have like helped me with mobility back then because I, you know, now I'm learning like why my like knees don't point the right way and why I have all these like weird like aches and pains. And it's like something that I could have course corrected if I had known it 10 years ago. Um, but yeah, that's like a, that's like a whole interesting thing. Cause like, you know, I know you like do a lot of uh, like weight training and that sort of thing. And it's like really fascinating for me as someone who's like just barely starting to like get into weight training. Like I think that being able to do it properly is something that like, I didn't even know it wasn't even on my radar until my friend like pointed out all these like different things like oh here's how you squat and here's how you like do it in a way that like doesn't actually hurt and if you're feeling pain in these areas this is part of the reason for that yeah um, you really need somebody to like guide you in that because i i had yeah. my friend i don't know if you know garrett but uh, he maybe yeah, yeah I, don't, I think he worked here after you but but he's kind of like my like fitness coach who, you know, he, he worked at True Brew. So, he, yeah. you know, we, we worked together, but he was, you know, uh, he, he's, he's a kinesiology major. And now he's becoming a chiropractor and oh, he's that's amazing. super fit and stuff. So like, I just take my advice from him and he's been helping me on that like mobility journey and stuff. And, you know, when we started training, like my, my ankles were all weird when I was squatting and I was having yeah. knee pain and stuff. And, you know, when you tweak all these like little adjustments and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, no, no more pain. And, and for me, like I used to have a ton of knee pain and I couldn't run and it was cause basically my, my hips were imbalanced and yeah. it, it wasn't, you know, till later that I learned that like, okay, like once you just realign your like hips and stuff and, 
you know, you get your body in line, like all of a sudden, like knee pain or elbow, you know, all that stuff goes away. Yeah. It's a, yeah. So now I can actually run and I, like I just turned 30 and I can run better than when I was like 20. That's amazing. But, you know, I, I, I only run like a mile or two, but yeah, but still I don't, I don't have that knee pain anymore. So that's, that's the best thing. Yeah. So it's like, it's kind of interesting. It's been like, I feel like a lot of this like conversation, it's just like us kind of like catching up. But it's, like, also kind of crazy to think, like, you know, I know, like, you have, like, two kids. Yeah, and two And, like, I feel like <clears throat> I was thinking about this as I was, like, driving up here. Like, the difference in who you are now and, like, the conversations we have versus, like, when we were, like, trying to figure out True Brew. Like, how do you feel, like, all these, like, changes in life? Like, you know, getting married, like, having kids, like... I feel like there's like this new motivation that I see in you um, to like, you know, work out and like do all this stuff. Yeah. It's been, it's been interesting. Like the last couple of years I've, I've had like a pretty like expansive growth period. I think there was like two parts of my life where I've kind of like grown exponentially. It was like in my early twenties, like I, I spent a lot of time like like just reading and studying and trying to like, you know, figure out the world and like who I am as a person. Yeah. And then we opened True Brew and my life just turned into like this like crazy grind where it was just like day to day. Like, you know, I, I grew as a person, but mostly just cause like, you know, you're on the job type of growth. Yeah. And then in the last couple of years, maybe partly cause of COVID, like, you know, being stuck at home longer and having like lockdowns and stuff. Like I've, I've had a chance to kind of like re reevaluate like self-development and like get back into, to like fitness and health and um, just like studying again. And I don't know, getting more involved in like just current events and, and uh, various other things. That's awesome. Yeah. I like, it's kind of, kind of interesting. I feel like you know, I, like, I've told, like, a handful of people, like, I think for me, like, the past year, like, I've done a pretty good job of, like, avoiding politics in all ways, and, like, I had a a previous podcast guest, and we, like, joked about it. We, like, talked politics in the sense that, like, realizing that a lot of people need to have more, like, in-person conversations, because I think, you know, I mean, from us, like, coming out from Ohio to California, if I just looked at the news, I would have assumed California was on fire and going to hell in a handbasket. Right. And while part of that is true, I think that our experience being here, it's significantly different. And it's like, it's all humans. Most people are reasonable. And, you know, we all just kind of, like, want to live our life and do our thing. Um, and we're just kind of like, we're feeling this like moment where it's like acceptable to just kind of like, this is how I want everyone to live their life. And if they don't do it, then like, I'm going to throw a fit, but yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point, I think. And I think that's like when we get so caught up on like either the news or the social media realm, it's easy to, to just see like the most fringe and gnarly (laughs) situations going on when like you know, you just go outside and it's just like sunshine and, you know, people just being people and, you exactly. know, like life's just normal. Like it's, <laughs> you know, but we get so caught up in the online world where everything is driven by algorithms that play on, 
you know, human emotion and anger and yep. division because that's their business model essentially. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, they're, they're trying to get things to be shared as much as possible. And the best way to do that, you know, I was noticing like on your bookshelf, you have uh, contagious. Yeah. I'm like halfway through that book right now. And it's like, if you can drive an emotional response from someone, like that's how they're going to be the ones, you know, that's how they're going to share their experience. And yep. it's like, it's really interesting because I think about this now that I'm doing like video production and whatnot, like all those years ago, I feel like I remember sitting down and having conversations with you and uh, your mom about like the customer experience. Cause I remember, you know, back in the day we were like <clears throat> so focused on like trying to, you know, we got to get our coffee to be perfect. We got to, you know, oh, I just need my latte art to be just a little bit better. And I remember you having a conversation with me. You're like, dude, like, that's cool and all, but, like, our clients love dark roasted coffee and they don't give a shit about your latte art. Like, you know, how you treat them is going to be, like, the thing that they're going to talk about. and It's what's going to, like, keep them coming back. And I think, like, that's something that's, like, you know, we get lost in those, like, experiences experiences now it's like we want things that are like flashy and visual and you know that perform well on social media but those aren't the things that are actually going to like really like connect us to other people around us yeah I totally agree and like that's something that's really helped me shape my philosophy with like business and not I guess it would apply to really any business but it was like the realization that customers don't buy products but they buy feelings and so like when you package that into like a cafe setting that's why it was so important to put such an emphasis on like our service and our just like relationship building because at the end of the day like you know when the customer's walking out feeling like you know that sense of like joy or like just like a warm feeling that they had just like meaningful interaction like yeah you know essentially that was the product we sold them and you know, that's why we have so many regulars because we like really like put that as a center focus of our philosophy. And, you know, there's other shops that have better coffee than us that, you know, I, I like their coffee and stuff. And, but I think we tend to do like the best job at, you know, providing like, like just a high standard of, of hospitality and, and like really just community building. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that's like the nuanced area that gets overlooked when it comes to you know cafe building and just coffee shops and or i guess really any like service industry i think that yeah. gets put on the back burner i feel like yeah and this is something i i don't know if i've like talked about this publicly so this might be the the announcement of it but it's like i have always kind of had this feeling that it's like most people get into you know starting a restaurant or a business and you know don't want to be too insensitive to it but like you know a lot of restaurants and coffee shops and things closed down because of covid and in the back of my mind i think the places that are like still thriving and doing well are the places that are run by the people passionate and willing to like go that extra step you know like you said you know you have a handful of people that you know would be willing to you know at the drop of a hat come in and help because like if you know, in a weird way, it's like if they let things down, then they might not have a job tomorrow. And it's like, I think 
one thing, and this is something I've been like trying to figure out for a while. I would love to figure out uh, a funding option for people that are passionate about running cafes or that sort of thing to be able to have access and grow their own thing. Cause I know that it would be wildly more successful than like anything we have on the market now. Um, which from like my limited outside perspective is like a lot of people that are like, Oh yeah, I have some money. I want to like open a cafe. And then all of a sudden it's like, you have this cafe that doesn't really have a direction. Um, yeah. It's, it gets idealized a lot. Like I hear it every day in my kind of day to day interactions with people. They like, yeah. you know, you have these like kind of career established people who have money and they're like, Oh, I'd love to open a coffee shop. Like when I retire or like, you know, it would be so fun. And it's like, <laughs> you're just like, you clearly have no clue about how much like goes into, you know, running a, a, a shop. It's like, you're not going to be retiring if you're, you know, that's, but it's, it gets like very much idealized because it's, it is a very like, it's, I don't know. So there's something about cafes. They have a, a magical quality to them. I think like, I think they're definitely like a centerpiece of, of our kind of society and like as a gathering place, especially for like the millennial generation, you know, I, it really expands all the generations, but you know, in the yeah. past you might've had like a tavern or a bar or something that like people, you know, you know, connected over, but now it's like cafes, I think serve that purpose more. Yeah. You know. They're like the, the great equalizer. It's like, you know, I think I, the, the best, term i heard for it was like the affordable luxury yeah you know it's like no matter who you are you know you can come in and almost everyone can of like at one time in their life can afford a seven dollar pour over and they're getting literally the best coffee in the world and you know it doesn't matter if you're the you know billionaire hedge fund manager or you know literally a, another barista just coming in to like try it out yeah um it's something that we can all enjoy together um and it's also that like third space that allows people to like really come together and like you know socialize network um i mean i think about like some of the the best connections i've made in my life were literally because i worked in a coffee shop and absolutely you know, i think like that's not something to be overlooked because you know and that, I mean, that whenever, whenever someone comes to me for career advice, it's like, I always tell them like, get a job at a coffee shop. I, it, I don't care if you're not passionate about coffee, you're going to learn so many more skills that you weren't prepared to learn. And if you can like, you know, write them down, like take note, you're going to go places in life. Yeah, no, I, I completely back that advice. It's just, the, the people you meet and just like, yeah, the, the, uh, kind of stuff you work through, it's, it's skills that apply to any, really any field, you know? Yeah. But I, I wanted to go back to this idea you were saying about how, if there was a way we could kind of fund like passionate people to like, you know, have their own spaces or like yeah. kind of, you know, further their own kind of careers or, or like passions. Yeah. I, it's something I've been thinking a lot about lately in the sense that I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I expand from here. Like, you know, we have, like, we have two locations for true brew now and I have the juice bar. And then like I saw yeah. you, we're, we're going to be opening our roastery next year. And, you know, it, it is a lot of work. Like I, I know like some businesses kind of expand exponentially and yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily know that that's the direction I, I want to go. And so something I've 
thought more about was how can I like empower my passionate employees to have their own spaces. And so yeah, we've been actually already having discussions with a, a few people about, you know, potentially helping them open their own, you know, true brew or their own space and, you know, giving them equity in that and basically letting them, you know, own their own space, you know, with the support of, of us kind of behind them to help them get started in that first, that first location, you know, that, that really takes a lot of, uh, of growing pains if you're doing it on your own. So that, that would be a cool way to expand, you know, our business while like empowering others to kind of have their own spaces and, and, uh, you know, expand our brand of hospitality and organic and, you know, the things that the key things we care about, but that's amazing. That would be super cool. I like <clears throat> how how would you like to try and like uh real like how would that be like executed? Or are you thinking like uh in my in my mind, like some of the things I've thought of is like you could do like a, a smaller space, maybe like with, you know, minimal seating, like minimal overhead. Cause I think like, you know, from the like few coffee shops that have like been through their like starting phases over the years, like the big costs starting up is like espresso machines aren't cheap, you know, renting your space. Like, I think it was like, I think you were the first person to be transparent with me when opening up, like, dude, like we're literally not making money. Like we're not projected to make money until, you know, eight, 10 months in. And even then, like, you know, that's just like covering our costs. And so I think like, you know, yeah. there, there's a lot of these startup costs that it's like most people don't think about when they start a cafe and it's like you just see this like new place pop up and it's like we all love the new flashy thing but how do you like <laughs> you know keep that going and I think that could be like a huge thing for you guys like uh helping people get over that hill because once you like get that momentum going like you know yeah it, it's, it. it's challenging that first year I'll, I'll tell you it'll be just transparent like we we just opened our location in in las vegas and we don't have it's it's actually henderson but it's like right outside of vegas yeah um but you know we don't have our name established out there that you know true brews here in orange county in california yeah and so no one knows that we are out there so we're essentially starting from scratch and it's interesting to see us revisit that phase of you know not making money and trying to break even and yeah. you know we're six months in now and, and luckily things have been picking up to where we're you know getting close to breaking even but it's interesting you know you you definitely need to kind of forecast how you're gonna overcome that first hurdle of the first year or two where you're yeah um yeah I think that's pretty common among you know new businesses to kind of go through that uh that growth phase where you're, you know, you're just trying to like pay your bills and and then eventually like turn a profit. Yeah. So tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. Like what, cause it's like, we all hear that. I think that that's like the moment where a lot of places will like start trying to like cut corners and like, you know, get their costs as low as possible. And they're like trying to do everything as possible to like slow the damage. Uh, what's something that you feel you do differently in turn in that like growth phase that's like allowed you to be successful here in Orange County, but then also you can like see that your place out in Henderson's also going to like have that same success. 
Yeah, I think you have to set a baseline of what you're willing to compromise on and what you're not willing to. And so for us, it's like certain key products. Like, you know, we're always committed to buying like organic coffee, organic eggs, like, you know, quality meads. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's a baseline of like, we're not, we'll never cut like, you know, costs because this will go, sorry, I shouldn't say it, never cut costs, but we'll never cut certain things because that'll go like against our philosophy. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that, that just gives you a, a baseline to work with. And then you could, you know, try to find other ways of, of like, you know, I guess cutting costs if you need to. But I, I like to typically just focus on a more growth mindset in the beginning and not necessarily, you know, worry about the costs too much. Um, yeah. But just really just focus on doing things correctly and just having that faith that, you know, peop- if, if you truly believe in your product and your concept, then people will, you know, find utility in it and it, it'll grow and, and eventually you'll, you know, you'll, you'll turn a profit and, you know, you'll, you'll survive, I guess. Yeah. That's, that's kind of amazing. And I think you, you hit on something that I have like kind of noticed, I think is huge and, you know, is, having like that integrity to like stick with your values. Cause I mean, I think like, you know, that's the, the one thing you hear about all the time. It's like, Oh, there's this new restaurant and they, you know, have the organic, they have all the things. And then you go in and eat there six months later. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, my stomach doesn't feel good. What's going on here. And it's like, Oh, I think they, you know, they had to change something cause they, <laughs> you know, wanted to make more money or whatever. Yeah. You know, that short sighted goal but I think you're very smart in being able to like, you know, have that long-term vision because keeping the integrity of your product is how you're going to get people that are coming in for years to come. Yeah. It's so true how common that is. We, we used to eat at this place called Mendocino farms a lot. It was, they're like attached to whole foods and they used to be this like kind of independent, like, you know, healthy kind of lunch spot, lunch dinner spot. And they used to use like pretty quality ingredients, you know, they would, they would use like Mary's chicken and like some organic salads and stuff and whatever, just like, you know, like a little bit of a higher end, like quality ingredient. Um, and recently a few years back, they got bought out by like a bigger corporate kind of conglomerate that like buys, uh, restaurants. Yeah. And all of a sudden I noticed all the like little key ingredients on their menus were gone like no it was now just like totally normal chicken like no more organic like you know mixes Jeez. and stuff and so it was it's interesting to see how like that thing that initially drew us to that place is now gone because it's like corporate and they're just trying to scrape every penny they can that's wild so yeah i mean it's like it, it's interesting like we my wife and i have like talked about this a lot like how like we'll find like we've gotten just accustomed to finding a new uh non-dairy ice cream brand like every six months because we find one that we like it's like reasonably priced it doesn't have all the shitty ingredients in it and then all of a sudden it gets bought out by like nestle or some company and then it's just absolute trash yeah and it's like i think it's one of those things that it's like there's a market out there for people that want they don't care how much it costs. They just want it to be the best. And I think that that's something like, you know, as a like community, 
it's like, you know, while we're all trying to like focus towards like, you know, low income housing, like all these like things that are the lowest common denominator across the board, I think we would be, it would be a better like long-term vision to be able to figure out a way to get more people not to be in that position and like grow out of that so that we can like, you know, actually like start putting more effort into like having those high quality ingredients and things that we want in life um, mm. instead of just like reserving that for like the top 1% of society. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is, I guess, an issue of accessibility sometimes because, you know, yeah. some people aren't in that situation where they can afford necessarily to get quality ingredients or, you know, although I, I think a little bit of it, it's overstated. Like, uh, you know, we, we scraped together like dinners for the whole family for like 12 bucks using like, you know, org- organic grass fed ground beef and like, yeah you know, a un- pack of onions and mushrooms and some taco shells. And like, that was what we had for dinner last night. And, you know, it was a gourmet dinner for like 10 bucks for the whole family with all organic, like grass fed ingredients, you know? Yeah. So, so I think if you know, like how to, you know, scrape together things, it, it's not necessarily out of reach, but exactly. But there, there's one thing you missed in there, though. You have to cook your dinner. Right. Yeah. Because I, I think like, and that's something I've been like working with a, with a chef on this right now. And it's like, you know, I like, I was like, had that mindset. I was going towards that like lowest common denominator. I'm like, we need to convert the people that are like throwing their instant meals in the microwave and get them to start cooking. And he had a really good point and he pushed back on it and he was like, He's like, I see where you're going with that. But he's like, the baseline of effort that I want to see from someone is they're willing to like cook their own dinner. And if they're willing to do that, we can work with it and get them to this point where they can like start experimenting with like flavors and different things. Um, but yeah. yeah, I think it's, it's really a game changer when you start getting accustomed to cooking your own dinner. Yeah, You know, my wife and I now whip up dinner in like 20 minutes and it's like, gourmet and we save you know like going going out to eat between my wife and i and our toddler it's like you know a minimum of like 40 bucks like even like at a you know even like fast food places now are like 20 bucks at least for like you know maybe two people yeah um so really it's not like you save a crazy amount of money but i guess you just need to like overcome that initial hurdle of like being okay like cooking your food you know exactly yeah do you guys you guys cook a lot of your meals at home oh yeah we're like we definitely are always on the hunt for a new restaurant but like where we are in ohio there's not like quite as many uh options in terms of being able to like eat the quality of food that we're looking for and also just like dietary restrictions um i feel like it's kind of like this weird like puzzle where it's like you get the one place that's like got really good gluten-free options but it doesn't have like dairy-free or like, you know, all those kind of details, uh, that's getting into the weeds with like specific picky diet things. But, um, yeah, I definitely feel you on that though. Like as I've gotten more like into the weeds of like, like we were talking about just more health and, you know, nutrition based rabbit holes over the last couple of years, I've been more conscious about avoiding eating out and, you know, avoiding like certain ingredients and, you know, I, I was kind of on my own health recovery journey. I, 
I was dealing with a bunch of um, mold toxicity from from a year ago where we found out our AC was just filled with mold and I was getting like crazy kind of a like a mixture of like allergy and like sore throat symptoms constantly for about a year. Oh no. And I uh, I didn't realize it was from from like the constant mold exposure basically from our our AC blowing out basically mold spores. <laughs> oh no. So that finally got resolved a few months ago and I've been, you know, on the recovery from that. Um That's awesome. But yeah, it's just been interesting like trying to learn how like various uh you know, dietary and, and lifestyle choices kind of, you know, affect your health even. Yeah. What 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 was one of the things like I feel like we've done some like diet changes and stuff over the years. What do you feel like is one of the things that you like remove from your diet and immediately notice like a big change. Like for me, I noticed like it took so long because working in a coffee shop, you just have unlimited access to bagels. But as soon as I cut out gluten from my life, everything, that was like the, the eye opening moment. I was like, Oh, life can be great. Yeah. So for me, it was, um, it was trying to fix gut issues that I was having. And yeah. I think I'm going to do a video about this soon because I, I see a lot of people like deal with gut issues and it yeah. might be related to things they not, might not be thinking about. But for me, I used to make this like kind of superfood smoothie every morning and I would basically load it up with fruits and vegetables. I would put like two cups of spinach in there, like almond butter. Yeah. You know, I'd make it with almond milk and, uh, and I was just smashing the smoothie every day for like a couple of years. And I'd always deal with like kind of like weird gut issues. Yeah. And I, I didn't realize that um, like spinach and almonds are pretty high in oxalates. And <laughs> and they could actually kind of affect your, your gut lining. Yeah. And so I don't necessarily know that that's what originally compromised it. It could have been like things from before, but it definitely wasn't helping. And so when I cut that out and I kind of shifted to just eating like a normal breakfast, like some like eggs and bacon and like, you know, like a piece of sourdough toast or whatever. Yeah. Um, it started to get better. And eventually I, in the last about six months, I've been doing uh, like, like bone, like grass fed bone broth every morning before I, uh, before I eat anything, just like the first thing I do. Yeah. And it's been actually amazing how much my gut has healed. And I can tell because I could, I could basically like drink dairy again and uh, like gluten doesn't bother me as much anymore. And a whole like host of other issues have, have gotten better. That's amazing. And I think it's because, and, and this is something I have to explore more, but like when you do have a kind of compromise, compromise like gut lining a lot of the things we eat like kind of will like leach into either like our blood or just like you know out of like the the stomach where it should be exactly and yeah and like create like these like immune responses or just like you know more reactions where yeah. when you have like a healthy intact gut it seems like i've been able to handle a wider variety of, of foods without like an ill effect yeah you can like you can kind of like go off script a little bit like you know, every once in a while and it's not going to like put you out for three or four days. Yeah. Like it used to. Yeah. I, I read this book uh, by Stephen Gundry a few years ago called the plant paradox. 
And it was one of those, it was like, it was an interesting moment in my life. Cause I was like on the cusp of like, just going like plant plants for everything. Like I was convinced I was like, that's going to be the future. And, but it was really interesting because there was a concept in that book that I learned about, uh, called lectins. And it's like, basically it's the, the active part of gluten that actually like tears your gut lining. Um, the way he describes it in the book is like gluten is the unfortunate bystander that his car got used to aid the bank robbers and getting away and he gets blamed for everything. And he's like, well, actually like lectins are in your like jalapenos, your bell peppers, they're in like all these other foods. And that's, what's actually like tearing open your gut lining. Um, and to like bring it full circle, like once you can like heal your gut, it's, you know, the sky's the limit. And you start noticing, you're like, oh, I like absorb all my food. Like, I don't feel like I'm constantly having to like smash smoothies and bowls and like all these different things just to feel satiated. You know, you can have like a small breakfast and everything feels great because you're like actually absorbing all of that nutrients. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's wild. It's, it's crazy. The kind of information that circulates around the, you know, the, the health and wellness space from like the vegan to the carnivore side. But I was kind of on a similar trajectory as you. I, I read a book called How to Not Die by, uh, I think, doc, like, Dr. Michael Greger or something. Or, I forget yeah. his name, but, you know, pretty, like, hardcore vegan advocate. Yeah. And it got us, you know, my wife and I started doing, like, more, like, a vegetarian, like, type diet for a while. Yeah. And then you had all the, like, documentaries coming out, game changers, all these other things, so... You know, there's a lot of convincing kind of vegan propaganda out there. <laughs> yes. And uh, and and I'm not, like, opposed to plants by any means. Like, you know, I've, I've talked about, like, you know, I love, like, mushrooms and, like, yeah. various other herbs. And, and I mean, they have, they have their place. Yeah, they do, yeah. But I, I've shifted my perspective now where I view, like, plants as, like, almost like medicine. Like, I think they're, they have potent effects, but, like, they need to be, like, you know, dose- kind of dose appropriate yes and like i was guilty of like you know definitely overdosing on tons of like vegetables and you know different plants in the past where you don't realize that yeah these do have like natural kind of toxins that exist in them and they can be you know damaging to you in in excess quantities yeah it's it's kind of interesting one of the things that i've like I have uh, one of my one of my close friends. He's a, a a vegan, and we have the most productive conversations because we've come to realize that our like our common ground on everything is like we both want the environment to be healed, and so you know he in all of his research has come to the belief that like being a vegan is how that's going to work. And from my time, like spending time out on farms and like watching regenerative agriculture and exploring that space, that's kind of where I come from. Um, oh my gosh. Oh, I had a good point with that. But one of the things that we've like talked about and a point that I'm like constantly exploring with myself is one of the things that most diets never address is the fact that like when you switch over to something, like you're cutting out all of the like bad things in your life. Like if you think about it, if you go from like standard American diet to being a vegan, it's not necessarily that you're only eating vegetables. 
it's that you've cut out all of the processed meats, the, you know, white bread, the, all these other things that were slowly poisoning you. And same thing with like carnivore diet. Like, yeah, you're only eating meat, but what's actually happening is you're not eating all of the greens that were like, you know, poisoning you to a big tune every day. Yeah. Um, so I think like the process, the, the elimination part of a diet is like just as important as what you're putting in. Yeah. And I think you, that's, I think that's a verifiable thing in, in the sense that you see both vegans and carnivores see immense benefits in their first like year to two. Exactly. Where they're just like, oh my gosh, I feel so great. Like I, all, my pain went away, like blah, blah, blah. And then a couple years after that, it's like, okay, now I'm starting to see issues because this very like, you know, mono kind of type yeah. diet is not sustainable in the long term. Exactly. And I, obviously there's a ton of debate about like sustainability, yeah. you know, and I follow both like, you know, vegan and carnivore type um, yeah. people. And it's like, both will say like, oh no, it's fine, whatever. But, you know, I think uh, for me, everything boils back to like a more like natural primal um, mindset of like, what would have like a hunter gather ate, you know? And, and I exactly. think, it, it would have been like a kind of omnivorous diet where we ate meat and fruits and, you know, a couple other things that we could get our hands on, but, you know, definitely wouldn't have been just solely plants or solely meat. And so. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's kind of an interesting time. And I like something for me that I've been like learning a little bit more about lately is like uh, diseases of abundance because like, you know, I think like from my perspective, like the modern life, we have solved so many problems, but I think we've gotten to this point where we're so efficient at like covering for our basic needs. Like, you know, how many times are you having to rebuild your house? Cause like the winds blew through and like, hmm. you know, how, like how much time do you really have to think about going to get enough nutrition from your food or, you know, transportation or whatever it is like, we basically are like in this entertainment economy because like back in the day, the entirety of our day would be spent building a house, hunting for food, cooking, all these different things. So our like leisure time, like leisure time in and of itself is a modern problem. And we're like now starting to like come over the other side. We're having, you know, rises in like diabetes, obesity, like all these different things are because like, we don't have to be as involved with our day-to-day -day survival as we used to be. And yeah. like, you know, like even like cancer, like there's been like some research I've been like seeing a lot lately that it's because, because we have easy access to food, our bodies are not going through the natural processes of auto autophagy on a regular basis, which is like what our body does to like, basically like refresh, recycle all of our cells and go, okay, like, here's the like things we need to get rid of. Um, yeah. Even exercise, you know, induces autophagy and we don't exactly. exercise nearly as the same rate either. So, yeah, you know, we're never, we're never in fasted states anymore and we're never, we're, we're not exercising, you know, like we used to. Yeah. And so, yeah, like it makes sense that, you know, cancer would just be compiling in our bodies since we're not really, you know, letting our natural detoxification system play out. Exactly. 
Um, I wanted to, the the phrase, the disease of abundance, I think you said, yeah. it triggered this thing in my head. Uh, Naval Ravikant, I think, he, oh. he was on Joe Rogan, and he yeah. had this like little good snippet where he talked about, you know, the disease of abundance, but he was saying how like that's essentially the, the root of all our like modern problems, and it's, you know, whether it's from dietary, like abundance of calories and, yeah. you know, excess um, food or it's a, an a abundance of you know social media where we're like overloaded with information it's you know abundance of medication abundance of you know pornography and yeah. all these other stimulations that are basically things that were you know existed before in small amounts that now are just like you know absolutely just flooding us and we're not really you know as a as a biological you know, creature, we're not really equipped to handle the levels of, of these things that we're getting. So, yeah, it's like, it's like our, our bodies are, you know, we're still, you know, the same human that was around, you know, 500, a thousand years ago, but now we're just like dropped into this like modern world with like, you know, an over, uh, stimulation of like all of our, you know, neurotransmitters and all those things. Yeah. Yeah, Our biology cool. hasn't caught up to the kind of modern world we find ourselves in. It's exactly, yeah. I I just finished that book, uh, Dopamine Nation. Nice. Oh my gosh, that was like, it was interesting because I like I, admittedly, I'm not really good about like the whole like you know ice bath cold exposure thing, but I like tried to do like 15 seconds like cold shower, and because they like uh, they were talking about this study where people basically you know they were having like you know clinical you know diagnosed depression and they were able to like solve their like mood problems literally just by having them take a cold shower because when you like go so far to like try and trigger those like pain points your body is like constantly trying to get you into that like balance and so when you go towards the side of pain your body naturally produces like superhuman levels of dopamine. Hmm. And like I tried it the other, like a couple weeks ago and it was like my mood for the whole day, like 15 second cold shower. I felt like I was on like cloud 12, like all day. Yeah. It was wild. It's, it's amazing. I, I kind of do a similar thing, although I have to admit, I, I kind of fell off for the last like year, but yeah. prior to that, I was pretty consistent for a couple of years where I would, take my normal hot shower and then just at the end I would turn it cold for like the last 30 seconds. Yeah. But yeah, you get out feeling like, man, alive. Like, like especially I could imagine in, in Ohio, the water's probably freezing like oh, in the winter. It's, it's probably so like, cold. Yeah. It's probably like, yeah, that, that probably wakes you up. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. Um, ready to go. But yeah, I mean, you think like somebody like Wim Hof who's like popularized, you know, cold exposure and stuff. Yeah. But for him, like he cured his, you know, anxiety, depression after his wife died, you know, like yeah. cold, like kind of gave him a new life. And it's, it's cool to hear that story. But I mean, yeah, now there's clinical research behind, you know, if you're having anxiety or whatever, go like get in a cold shower, like you'll, you'll pretty much cure it. Like exactly. It's a, uh, yeah. That's amazing stuff. Oh man. Well, thank you so much for uh coming on this morning. This is uh, an amazing conversation. Yeah. We were able to hang out. It's good to catch up. Dude, same. Maybe we'll do like a Zoom uh another Zoom talk like one of these days. Oh yeah. yeah. We'll uh we'll have to do a follow up at some point when uh Chiru hits 
let's see, 16 years? Yeah, I'll right. Once every, <laughs> once every eight years. Eight years. <laughs> see how things yeah. are going. Hopefully you'll be uh, taking over the country by then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, taking down Starbucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for having me, Brandon. Anytime. All right. That was a blast. As always, thank you guys for tuning into the show today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode with Nick as much as I did. Uh, for me, it was a lot of getting to catch up and, you know, hang out with an old friend. And I think that the conversation that came out of it was super impactful and can hopefully uh, help inspire and help, you know, anyone on their journey. So as always, if you really enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, all those things. Tell a friend about it. Uh, Hopefully I will have a few more episodes coming your way soon. Have a wonderful afternoon and I hope you enjoyed the show.